Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, my name is David Obelts and today is Thursday, July 20th, 2023. It has been 3,431 days since Russia occupied the Crimea Peninsula on January 27, 2014, and one year and 146 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. We'll be covering three topics today. Yevgei Prigozhin and the mercenaries of private military company Wagner Group have emerged in Belarus. What's next for the mercenary organization? And in the short and midterm, does PMZ Wagner pose a threat to Ukraine, Poland, or anywhere else in the world? Second, there continues to be frustration about the slowness of the Ukrainian counteroffensive, and a lot of misunderstanding was caused by a New York Times story with the headline that Ukraine had lost 20% of its military hardware in two weeks. Is the counteroffensive nowhere bound, and what did the New York Times story really say? Finally, Russia's withdrawn from the Black Sea Grain Initiative, as was widely expected, is flattening Ukrainian civilian port infrastructure and made a series of threats and demands upon the world. What's next, and what does Russia really want, beyond full control of Ukraine and the destruction of its peoples and culture? After Yevgei Prigozhin's June 23rd insurrection failed, there was a lot of uncertainty about what would be next for the private military company, its commanders, and its mercenaries. We had quickly assessed that PMC Wagner's mission to Ukraine was over, and if the company would ever continue to operate, its future was in Africa. We now have a firmer answer. On July 12, a picture was released showing Yevgei Prigozhin in his underwear in a tent, which looked similar to the temporary barracks that had been built in Belarus. Belarusian opposition news organizations created doubt about that picture's authenticity, initially claiming the metadata showed the image was shot on July 12, and later deleted the story and created a new one, saying the metadata was from July 12. We assessed on July 14 that Prigozhin was alive, well, and in Belarus. On July 19th, Prigozhin and the man behind PMC Wagner, Dmitry Utkin, addressed a large group of Wagnerite mercenaries in a dawn speech about what was next for the organization. This is an excerpt from Prigozhin's speech. Quote, Greetings, guys. We are glad to welcome you all upon the arrival of Belarusian land. We fought with dignity. You have done a lot for Russia. Now what is happening at the front is a disgrace in which we do not need to participate. Now we need to wait for the moment when we can show ourselves in full Therefore, it was decided that we would be here in Belarus for a while. During this time, we will make Belarus, and I am sure of it, the second army in the world. And if necessary, I will stand up for them. Let's get ready, raise our level, and go on a new path to Africa. It is possible that we will return to the war in Ukraine at the moment 
when we are sure that we will not be arrested and will not embarrass ourselves and our experience. There is a lot to unpack in that paragraph. First and foremost, it confirms that Prigozhin is alive, but is still looking over his shoulder. He expressed concern about being arrested, his surviving forces being used as cannon fodder, and his reputation being torn down by Russian state media. And there has been an effort over the last almost month to do that. By calling the current situation at the front in Ukraine a disgrace, he is going after Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu, Chief of Staff Valery Gerasimov, and likely Russian President Vladimir Putin, despite the fact he doesn't say any of their names. He made it very clear the future for PMZ Wagner lies in Africa, where they currently have operations in at least six nations and as a training arm for the Belarusian military. Every report from Russian sources, Belarusian partisans, opposition news sources, and Western intelligence says the same thing. The Wagner mercenaries arriving in Belarus are coming unarmed. Could this be another manipulation from the master of manipulating the news cycle? That is unlikely, as he directly addressed his mercenaries, who have to have at least some trust issues in the Wagner Group's leadership after June 23rd. Next up was Dmitry Utkin, the neo-Nazi founder of Wagner Group and the man who gave the group its name in a nod to one of Adolf Hitler's favorite musical composers. Utkin has never been a man of many words. He has maintained a very low profile within the organization. So any public statement from him is significant. And he said, and I quote, if anyone does not know, I am that very Wagner. Most of you know me. Most of you I know personally. Thanks for the work you've done. Thanks to this work, the name of Wagner Group thundered throughout the world. Thanks to all. Guys, thank you very much. This is not the end. This is just the beginning of the biggest work in the world that will be done very soon. End quote. And then he closes saying in English, which is interesting, quote, well, Welcome to hell. While Utkin didn't give our analyst team much insight in those words, his appearance and speech confirmed that he is alive and was allowed to leave Russia despite his direct leadership during the June 23rd failed insurrection and being the man in charge of the Wagner convoy advancing on Moscow on June 24. How many Wagnerites made it to Belarus? The chief of staff for Wagner a mercenary that goes by the call sign Marx, provided some potential insight. Now, Marx claims that 78,000 Wagnerites passed through Ukraine from March 19, 2022 to May 20, 2023, including 49,000 convicts. During that time, 22,000 were killed in action and 40,000 were wounded, not counting prisoners of war or missing in action. That's an 80% casualty rate among the equivalent of 20 full combat brigades. This would be equal to the entire active duty military of South Africa or Peru being wiped out. Of the 40,000 wounded, Marx claims that 9,000 were able to recover and become fit enough to return to the ranks of PMC Wagner. The others are disabled or released from service. Of the 25,000 surviving members, 
approximately 15,000 have reportedly taken up Russian President Vladimir Putin's offer to return home and retire in peace. And that leaves up to 10,000 in or are headed to Belarus. Are 10,000 Wagnerites, even if they were re-equipped with the best weapons the Russian Federation has to offer, a significant threat to Ukraine, Poland, Latvia, or Lithuania? No. They could be involved in reconnaissance sabotage missions. This is not an invasion force. This is a group that would be quickly destroyed. And Prigozhin and Utkin, I would say they're smart enough guys to understand that. What about Belarus and its 50,000-member active-duty military and another 25,000-ish reservists that have been activated? Again, no. The illegitimate president and dark potato prince of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, has fought to keep his country out of direct conflict with Ukraine because he needs that force of 50,000 soldiers in Belarus to guarantee his own personal security. Better training is a force multiplier, but not enough that Lukashenko would commit his troops in a direct war of aggression using his own troops. About 80% of what Prigozhin says turns out to be true. And when you've analyzed his every move for a year and a half, you start to see the patterns that divide intentional Stark. For example, we have 10 million applicants from the United States, something that he told CNN, from misdirection, from fact. Given PMC Wagner's mining and money laundering interests in Africa and the end of the most lucrative contracts with the Kremlin, defending those financial interests in Africa are required. Utkin and Prigozhin will continue to enrich themselves with the blood of the African people, illegal mining operations, and blood diamonds. When you read between the lines of Prigozhin's speech, he strongly hints that he won't be returning to Russia and by proxy Ukraine, unless there is a regime change that includes the leadership of the Russian Ministry of Defense and likely the removal of President Putin. We have repeatedly assessed that if people were expecting a thunder run across Zafrogia or Luantz by the Ukrainian military, like the offensive in Kharkiv last year, they should prepare to be disappointed. Ukraine has been slogging out advances in three directions, making slow, steady progress towards Moletopol, Berdyansk, and developing a technical encirclement of Bakhmut. The first thing to remember is that 10 to 17 fresh brigades have not been committed to any offensive operation, while Russian forces continue to bring up their reserve forces. While progress is slow, Russian defensive lines are becoming increasingly fragile. The New York Times ran a story with the headline that Ukraine had lost 20% of its equipment in the first two weeks of its offensive. Because the New York Times keeps its content behind a paywall, many ran with the headline. But that's not what the story said. The story said that Ukraine lost 20% of the equipment it dedicated for the start of the offensive, which began roughly on June 4th representing about 15% of the Western hardware it received. Total equipment losses in the first two weeks for all of the Ukrainian military were 3%, not 20%. When Ukraine started its offensive, it used Western-style maneuver warfare tactics. But just as Ukraine has been learning, Russia has been taking notes too to overcome these tactics 
Russia created vast minefields, eliminating the ability of Ukrainian military vehicles to effectively maneuver and advance. Western partners haven't provided enough mine-clearing equipment and are clinging to what they understand of post-Soviet tactics, which have evolved, and the United States and other NATO nations haven't provided modern military aircraft, which would provide additional support in creating breaches and solving this military challenge. Now, here is the good news. Before these units became combat ineffective, remember, that's the loss of 30% to 49% of combat potential, they briefly paused and changed tactics. Over the next four weeks, those same units experienced another 10% in equipment losses. Now, that is a steep decline, and Ukraine started rotating units as they reached a combat ineffective state following Western military protocol. What Ukrainian forces have to do is advance with squads, platoons, sometimes as many as a company of light infantry. So no more than 100 to 200 soldiers. They capture trenches, defenses, and tree lines, and then they have to remove the mines by hand, then advance their armor to the cleared area to establish full military control. It's effective. There is solid data that this is minimizing Ukrainian losses despite being on offense, and it is slow because everything is on foot. Russian forces continue to ration ammunition for artillery, which has enabled Ukraine to have an advantage in some locations, including Zafrazia and Bakhmut. Ground coverage from foliage enables Ukrainian troops to move somewhat out of the view of Russian drones. According to the Oryx database, from July 12 to July 19th, Russia has lost five pieces of heavy military equipment for each piece of Ukrainian equipment destroyed. That is an amazing statistic for a nation that is on the offensive. Those numbers, you would think, would be flipped and not one to five, but maybe closer to one to three or one to two. Is the offensive moving as fast as Ukrainian military leaders hoped it would? No. Has the offensive failed? And is Ukraine suffering unsustainable equipment losses, such as 20% of all equipment destroyed in two weeks? And the answer to that is also no. If the world is expecting to see a faster counteroffensive, then the world should have provided Ukraine with modern fourth-generation multi-role fighter aircraft and committed to do that over a year ago. Russia's withdrawal from the Black Sea and Grade Initiative should be no surprise. For all intent and purposes, they had left the initiative more than a month ago, refusing to inspect dozens of cargo ships as part of its agreement between Ukraine, Turkey, and the United Nations. After attacking Odessa for three nights in a row, President Putin issued a list of demands, saying Moscow would consider returning to the humanitarian relief program if the world removes all sanctions on Russian grain and fertilizer supplies, reconnects Russian banks to SWIFT and ends all restrictions, restarts the unrestricted supply of spare parts for farm machinery to Russia, resolves the issue of providing insurance to Russian cargo ships, repairs and restarts the ammonia pipeline that leads to Odessa from Russia, and all Russian financial assets related to agriculture 
are unblocked. Yeah, good good luck with that. Just good luck. For a country that continues to insist that its economy has never been stronger thanks to sanctions, how a BRIC-centric currency will replace the United States dollar, the euro, and the British pound, and just two months ago declared they don't need the ammonia pipeline that, by the way, Russia blew up, this is a strange list of demands. The list of demands screams sanctions are killing the Russian economy. Further, Russia hasn't negotiated in good faith since 2014. Even if the world accepted these demands and gave everything that Putin has asked for, he used the word consider, not lift. Negotiations like this are just a list of blackmail demands. This is a dead end. The other thing Russia declared is that any ship sailing towards a Ukrainian port would be considered to potentially be carrying weapons, and the nation of registration, that is the flag it's under, will be considered to be at war against Russia. Another Russian red line painted with invisible paint. The real challenge for shippers is Russia is likely mined the sea lanes towards Ukraine, poor United States intelligence, and finding an insurance company that's going to declare yeah, we'll take that bet against Russia. So what did Ukraine do? Well, they released their own statement today. From zero hours of 21 July 2023, that would be Kiev time, all vessels headed to the water area of the Black Sea in the direction of the Russian seaports and Ukrainian ports located in the temporarily Russian-occupied Ukrainian territories may be considered by Ukraine as those carrying military cargo with all associated risks. Moreover, the movement of ships in the northeast of the Black Sea and the Kerch-Yankalski Canal of Ukraine is considered dangerous and banned from 0500 hours of 20 July 2023. The corresponding navigation information for sailors has been posted. Could Russia attack or sink civilian cargo ships? They already have. February, March, and April of 2022. They've sunk at least two vessels and damaged at least five more. What about Ukraine? Based on almost 18 months of history, Ukraine has not painted a red line and then not followed through when tested. It is well documented that Russia is running a shadow fleet of cargo vessels, shipping stolen grain, edible oils, ores, and metals, with international accusations of weapons illegally moving through the Black Sea. Absent a United Nations intervention to maintain a green corridor for green shipments that Turkey would have to permit, things could start to get very messy in the Black Sea and follow the tactics used in 1988 during the Iran and Iraq war when both nations targeted commercial shipping. But Russia said that they would fill the gap created by ending the Black Sea Grain Initiative by shipping free grain to the impacted nations. Yeah, they said that last year, too. And beyond some token shipments for the front page of TASS, those shipments never really materialized. Russia will continue to maintain its attacks on Ukrainian civilian infrastructure while stealing grain from the occupied territories. That you can count on. But if Russia really tests Ukraine's statement, in our assessment, 
Ukraine will follow through, in particular if they have strong intelligence that that vessel is carrying weapons. Thank you for listening today. We know many of you are missing the Daily Situation Report updates, and I want to thank our audience for standing with us during this transition. You can become a patron for as little as $5 a month and get access to the written Daily Situation Report and Interim Flash Reports, which provides detailed updates and analysis of what is happening both inside of Ukraine and in the geopolitical picture outside. There is a link in the podcast description or you can find us by searching for Malcontent News and Patreon. It keeps you informed during the transition and backs the rest of the team. Regular daily podcasts will return with a human host. We heard you loud and clear. No AI hosts, not even for little bits of the podcast. And that's what we know. My name is David Obeltz. I'm the chief content officer for Malcontent News. And there is so much awful in the world. Please just be good to each other. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.